Hello everyone, I am Paul Wicker. And I'm J.D. Prater. And today is March 2nd, and these are your top nine PPC headlines from the week. Number one, we have a pretty broad article from Google about uh, their new uh, universal app campaigns. Yeah, they're pretty much just trying to sell you on it, of why they're getting rid of everything. It's like, oh, look, you're running all these search and display and YouTube, and it's really confusing, and it's you have lots of campaigns, but guess what? You can give it to our black box universal app campaigns, and we'll take care of it for you. So, good this, sell. <laughs> this is part of the migration of, uh, I think, a lot of marketing tactics into machine learning, and, and the robots will do it for you. Um, so, naturally, there's some pushback. Uh, so I will say that marketers, you know, we always complain about things being too complex. So the fact that there is so many like networks just within Google between YouTube and um, Gmail ads, and there's all these different kind of campaigns you need to set up if you really want to get all their inventory. So in some sets Google saying, hey, this is what you said you wanted, an easier ad experience. But once they do it, everyone says, yeah, but I want to, you know, specify how much I'm willing to pay for a YouTube impression versus a, uh, which then kind of defeats the whole point. And I will say every time, because I used to work at an algo bidding company, and you can make the algo better, but if it's doing things people don't expect, or they don't know what's going on, they just inherently distrust it and they want to see. But that's the whole point of like these algos, right? They make decisions based on data that might not seem logical. And if you take the time to have to explain them, you're just kind of like wasting everybody's time explaining why the machine did what it did. But if you don't, then everybody needs to trust it. Anyway, I think we're going to see a lot of this as the world gets more and more automated by machine learning algorithms. Yeah, I think the, at least for on my end, the search side of things, right, with the search campaigns, I can at least say this keyword drove this install, right? Or I could say branded versus non-brand. Now with not being able to have access to that information, when the client's like, hey, you know, how many of our app installs came from non-brand? It's like, couldn't tell you. Right. Well, the answer in the future will be, I don't know, and I couldn't tell you because the machine decided. Yeah. But look at your ROI on this campaign, That's or right. not even on the campaign. Look at your ROI on Google. Yep. And of course, where the rubber hits the road is, does it work? Are, are people actually getting um, much more leads for their dollar? And if they are, people will run these campaigns. And if they're not, they're going to start saying, well, it's working, but I need to make some tweaks. So I need some manual controls. Uh, and usually when they roll out these fully automated systems, they don't quite work as well as they're sold to work. Yeah, we used them. I mean, they, it works out really well. It, they actually will get you downloads for the price that you select, but you just don't know where they came from or how they got there. So, yeah. Right. Well, if you're selling to Russian bots, you're for sure <laughs> going to get a lot of downloads. Uh, speaking of, uh, actually not speaking of at all, the next story is about <laughs> Facebook. Uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago, a year ago, we talked about this on, on the PPC show, the Explore feed, where you know Facebook came up with a second feed that was going to be filled with kind of more of the viral stuff, so updates from friends and family, and then those funny cat videos, and uh, it was it was interesting to look at. I think you and I both looked at it that day and kind of joked around about, you know, you saw something for like a, a bike or motorcycle, and yeah. I saw like a video game ad, and we were like, oh, it's irrelevant. But Facebook has said people don't like it, the test is over, and they will be removing the Explore feed. Yeah. I mean, kudos to them. They experimented, they tried it, they got feedback, and they're like, didn't work, we're killing it. Kudos. Uh, they also are, well, they're going to try something else, which is jobs coming to Facebook. So That's they're right. trying to dig into the LinkedIn market a bit by rolling out job posts. So if you are a small business owner, you can have a jobs kind of tab uh, on your page or in your business kind of experience, and then you can promote it and put it in ads and news feeds, et cetera. 
Yeah, we played around with it for, you know, hiring here at AdStage around certain types of positions. We tried it for like our engineering side to get developers and we tried it here on the marketing side and yeah, it was okay. We got okay responses. Uh, the real thing you really have to watch out for is if you start advertising your job post and you're putting in age requirements, that's technically um, illegal because you're <laughs> you're saying ageism, basically. You know, if I'm saying I only want people 25 to 35, don't target people that are 40. And <laughs> hmm, yeah. it can get tricky whenever you think about your advertising for job posts. So just be wary of that. And just know that it, it could get you in trouble. And this did come out in late 2016 in the U.S. and Canada. This is the announcement really about it going global. And apparently they partnered with ZipRecruiter. So mm-hmm. you can probably hook those two things up to get your ZipRecruiter job postings directly in Facebook jobs. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, again, I think some of the feedback that I hear is I don't really go to Facebook to find a job or look for a job. So we'll see how that how that rolls out. Well, you need to disagree with Facebook's VP of local, Alex Himmel, who, quote, said, one in four people in the U.S. have searched for or found a job using Facebook. I found that stat horribly unbelievable. Um, I don't know anyone that's ever tried to find a job using Facebook, but apparently 25% of the people in this country do. Then again, uh, they are selling the feature. So as we always know, stats are made up. Uh, More Facebook news. If you haven't been following... There's this huge debate, mostly on Twitter, about this Trump versus Clinton CPMs. And the story goes back and forth about, you know, uh, well, put it this way. There's a lot of people who have no understanding of how the advertising auctions and ecosystems work. And of course, as soon as there's a Trump story or Hillary story, Twitter goes crazy. So this is a weird (laughs) confluence of the two things I follow on Twitter, which are like marketing things and politics things, just coming together in this giant explosion of confusion and trolling. Yeah, it's really good. So Wired broke the story last week with a former Facebook employee who worked on the ads algorithm. And he's saying, Trump, he just played the system like a fiddle. He got these really cheap ad rates, way better than Hillary. And of course, here comes the Trump campaign going, hell yeah, I did. Look at me. I'm so awesome. The best CPMs. (laughs) Amazing CPMs. I love the CPM. What is a CPM? Oh, okay. I still don't understand, but we got great ones. It's a really good impression. Thank you. It's really my impression of Stephen Colbert doing an impression of Alec Baldwin doing an impression of Donald Trump. Um, uh, yeah, not surprising they took credit for, for it. And it really came out, the news kind of was positioned as like Trump got a discount. Like there was some yeah. secret discount that the Trump team negotiated. So amazingly... Facebook then responds. I mean, <laughs> they've been responding left and right to these kind of stuff. And uh, I think the the response time for me was what was so surprising and then who it came from. So this came from Boz himself, which uh, super high up at Facebook coming out and he uh, tweeted out an entire graph showing that actually, no, Clinton had lower CPMs in comparison to Trump. And then everyone then's like, well, that doesn't include organic, you know, and then here comes organic reach and the engagements that come around that. So it's, well, the, it's amazing. It really does just illuminate how much the general public does not know and, and probably would not like about targeting and advertising. But the, yeah, the two main pieces that are missing from the chart. So a lot of people came out and criticized Boz for putting this out, saying this doesn't really tell the story. A, it's uh, not including organic or it is including organic. One way or the other, we don't know. Um, 
how organic actually played a role as well. So there's a lot of people saying that a lot of Trump stuff is organic and that brings CPM way down. Then there's folks who are saying, we don't know the targeting, right? So Trump team might have been a bunch of idiots targeting, you know, uh, people under the age of 21 or 18. It's 18 to vote, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, under the age of 18 uh, or people who, I don't know, live in Canada knowing uh, the Trump team. So, yeah, you can get really cheap CPMs if you buy crappy traffic. So there's a lot of people who are then, you know, if if you can find a way to make fun of the, the Trump team, certainly there's a lot of people that will also use the story to do that. Um, so, but it's been pretty entertaining. If you want to go watch it on on Twitter, enjoy. Yeah, we'll link to it in the uh, show notes because it's good. And speaking of Twitter, there's a feature that'll make it easier for you to do that. You can now bookmark a tweet, which was a a feature Twitter users have been asking for forever. I haven't had it, uh, or I haven't seen it yet, but you have, right? Yeah, I see it on mobile. So I haven't seen it on desktop yet, but you know, when I'm on my mobile phone, it's in, like, if I look at a tweet, it's on the bottom right-hand side. It kind of looks like a download button. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm judging their iconography here, but it looks like I'm trying to download something. But when I click on it, it says, you can send a direct message, or you can add a tweet to bookmarks, or you can share the tweet. And so it's like this. Uh, well, see, you're on an iPhone. iPhone. On Android, it is yeah. the Android kind of share, which are those three dots connected by ah, like a gotcha. lines or whatever. So I think it's in their share icon. So And then you have options to share via direct message, bookmark, or other if you're on Android. And then it opens up a, a picker. Okay, so it's in the share button or download-ish button. Um, JD's accidentally sharing. No, I accidentally reported someone to spam. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Whoops. Um, Sorry. That's pretty funny. Um, so that's new from Twitter. The other thing is Jack just put out a kind of Twitter a five, five tweeter post. I forget what they're called now when you do stack tweets or Twitter <laughs> strings. or You can now called. Yeah. You can build them more easily. That was a new feature they rolled out. Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically said, look, we know Twitter is super toxic and there's a lot of trolls. So we're trying to find a way to create a health score for the conversation so we can see which conversations are healthy and unhealthy so they can come up with a better way of kind of policing the retor- uh, the kind of real people, not just the bots, but on uh, on Twitter. So he put they put out like an RFP and they're like actually asking for ideas. He talked about a few ideas. It was very kind of like open, hey, we're looking for ideas. We don't know what to do. It's a hard problem. And then he also was like, and you can come work here if you want to try to solve it which is a good idea because Twitter, you know, it hasn't been uh, doing super well lately, so I feel like a lot of the top talent doesn't want to go to Twitter. <laughs> um, all right, that was a lot of Twitter stuff. A lot of Twitter, uh, but it was good. We got a few more. We got Amazon Echo and YouTube, and then, of course, the big uh, Unilever threat. That's right. Um, Let's do Amazon. Amazon. Uh, so this... Uh, eMarketer kind of put out this report uh, summarizing a Bain and Company research that just came out talking about how Alexa may be uh, impartial in serving up uh, uh, Amazon private label products to you more than the branded products, which is it showing favoritism. So as an example, uh, they were saying Alexa is suggesting 17% of the time these private labels, but yet they, those private labels only make up 2% of the actual products sold on Amazon. So they're, they're servicing them a lot more, even though people don't really buy them. So interesting to see what's going to happen there. Yeah, it's, it depends on how you search. So if you search for like, I think their example was paper towels. Paper towels, yeah. Um, 
Amazon's uh, or Alexa's first suggestion is an am- what they call an Amazon choice item, which is basically one sold by Amazon more than half the time or 54% of the time. So if you just ask for a generic product, Amazon, if they have it, is pretty much going to recommend their own product. And then if you ask for the brand, you're a lot more likely to get, get the brand. Get the brand. This is really similar to when like Google AdWords first came out mm-hmm. and people were like, you know, how do I get in the top of the results? And then Google put out like, you know, the local 10 pack of local results and people like map companies were like, hey, you know, I'm not getting traffic anymore because you're putting your own mapping product up top. So how, you know, how is MapQuest going to get any traffic? And Yelp, you know, when mm-hmm. they started putting reviews and, and local business results at the top, Yelp was like, how am I getting any traffic if you put your own products up first? So, and then there's a lot of lawsuits and uh, court cases around, uh, is Google a public utility? So do they need to be impartial or, you know, they own the product and they be impartial? Sounds like we'll probably be doing the same thing with Amazon if, if people really do continue to uh, order crap. Uh, using voice on Amazon. Well, it seems, I mean, so Kantar, they, uh, part of this report too, was their new data is showing that 18% of U.S. household shoppers own an Echo or Google Home as of December 2017. That's almost one in five. I own one and it's unplugged behind my television (laughs) because didn't we all get them at one point as a Christmas gift? Because if you're remotely like techie, some parent is like, it's under, you know, 49 bucks was, uh, I think, the Amazon special. Anyway, I, don't, I do believe a lot of people own them. I don't know how many people use them. I've seen a lot of unplugged Alexas. But between Google Home and Siri, and I'm not saying that voice assistants are dying by any means. Um, it is interesting, though, because Amazon has this problem on their website, too, right? I mean, you go to Amazon, you search. They have to figure out how to appropriately show their own items mm-hmm. fulfilled by Amazon versus others. And it's a little more obscure because there's a lot of real estate on a page versus voice results. You only get the top result, really. Yeah. So it's like much more extreme because if you put your own product first in a list of 10, it's like, all right, at least I'm in the list. But if you're the only one, pretty painful. Uh, all right, let's move on to YouTube. They made a few changes, right? Yeah, nothing like, I mean, huge. But again, they're really going after the, the, the uh, live streaming aspect of um, our kind of daily lives now really trying to challenge Facebook live and so what they're adding is this ability for like live chat and these communities that you can build so you can kind of follow along in a a full conversation they'll have replays that'll show up alongside of the video so if you didn't see it live you could go back and watch it and almost feel like you were there because you're going to watch these um, chats come in as they actually happened. Right, which I will say, as someone who's watched a little bit of Twitch and a little bit of kind of live chat on, on Google, is really annoying that you can't, uh, with Google, you, you couldn't see the chats as they came in because you watch it. And the other thing is, they like if you're watching something popular, it streams so fast. There's so many comments that come in, yeah. which is almost like a subculture thing. Like if you go to a Twitch uh, chat or if you know like watching something on Twitch like you almost know you're not going to be able to read any of the comments because they're going to go so fast so like the way people talk is built to be almost disposable <laughs> or funny or a way to get attention for the half a second you'll be on screen so this is you know as like an old man going in there watching Twitch being like how the hell does anybody pay attention to what's happening because the screen just has like this chat conversation flying by I did get used to it and then it starts to become like oh you know, I could see how this is actually entertaining, but there's been times I was like, oh, I really wish I read that and I didn't. And now I could replay it. Nice. 
Well, uh, they're also adding captions. So if you uh, you know you couldn't watch it um, with your sound on, you'd be able to follow along for closed captioning or even for hearing impaired uh, people watching videos on YouTube. And then uh, the last one that they kind of rolled out is you can add these location tags. So if you're out streaming live and you're snowboarding or you know whatever you're doing, uh, you can tag your location. Nice. Yeah. Maybe instead of, so we've been doing Facebook Live uh, for these PPC headlines. Maybe we should try doing a YouTube live stream. Yeah, we did. So I, I was on, uh, what was it? Oh, SEM Rush did a webinar last, this live all day webinar, and it was through YouTube, and it crashed a couple times. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We probably won't get the same audience <laughs> as, <the> <laughs> as that. But no, I mean, how many how many things have we tried? I mean, Periscope and Facebook Live. I mean, yeah. there was a thing called Blab for a while. Yeah. It's it must be really hard if all the biggest companies in the world continue to struggle. Google Hangouts, Slack Video. Yeah. We've used Join Me. We've used like everything. Video is just it's a lot of data. It's a lot of data to move around. Uh, all right, last story. Um, <laughs> this happens pre- pretty much every year, right? So in this case, Unilever, kind of publicly threatened to pull their advertising from Google and Facebook. Um, and I feel like we, we see this every year. I think it was the car companies one year, Ford and Chevy, were like, we're not going to advertise because they didn't like something Google was doing. But at least this time it's tied to like some, some morally good-feeling things. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, so their reasoning. So their reasoning behind it that they said was they're not going to invest in platforms that do not protect children or that create division in society. So it seems like they really are, as we were kind of talking about earlier with Twitter and we're talking about Facebook, are these channels creating more division? Are they uh, maybe like YouTube? Are we not protecting children by the videos and ads that are showing up next to things? Maybe there should be content filters. There should be age limits on certain things. So I will be very curious to see how they monitor that, to see if they're actually going to pull spend from Google or pull from Facebook. But, I mean, shots are fired, right? This is the warning to say, hey, we control billions of spend. What does that look like? Right. It's, um, yeah, I wonder the motivations. You want to think the best in people, and Mm -hmm. you want to think the best in, in corporations. Uh, so you wonder why are they doing this? I mean, either A, they're outraged at the current state of the American diaspora, and they want to see changes. So they're saying, look, you know, we're going to put our money where our mouth is, and we're going to invest in the things that follow these four points. Um, or they're trying to make a publicity statement so that mm-hmm. they seem a lot more uh, you know, caring and maybe beneficial than they are. I don't know how many people really relate Unilever the brand when you're buying, like, paper towels and soap and all like I don't know if you even know Unilever as a brand so um but it really feels like you know the uh what are the kids the Parkland uh, Parkland mm-hmm. shooting yeah. like the kids in Parkland really seem like they're making differences in a lot of different facets in current society so after that uh and they they got super active and then we started to see like regulation and uh you know like local politics state politics and even um the president saying things like uh, maybe raising the age for gun owners to 21 and you know, so they're seeing political change, but then also uh, a number of private companies like um, a few of the hunting supply Walmart companies. Dick's. Right, Dick's Sporting Goods, yeah. Walmart, uh, and now a few others are coming out and saying we're not going to sell guns to, to minors, essentially. 
there's also a big boycott of a lot of NRA companies, and FedEx is not like removing their NRA affiliation. It's become like a big public debate. So I think this was the same thing. Maybe this this gentleman, Mr. Weed, or some other people at Unilever were just pissed off, and they're like, you know, I'm sick of this. How can we change it? And they uh, they made these four points part of what they wanted to see happen. Um, and just real quick, I'll read them. Uh, so JD mentioned the first, they won't invest in platforms that don't protect children or create division. They're only going to invest in platforms that make a positive contribution to society. They want to invest where uh, in platforms that tackle gender stereotypes in advertising, or I should say that don't promote gender stereotypes in advertising. And lastly, that create a responsible digital infrastructure. To your point, these are very broad and vague, and I have no idea how you decide whether Facebook is tackling gender stereotypes, but at least it's a step in the right direction. Unfortunately, Google and Facebook account for 73% of all digital advertising in the United States. That means Google brought in, uh, let's call it 8 billion, I, I can't do the pound to dollar conversion, 4.4 billion pounds in revenue, uh, roughly double that, and then uh, Facebook about 1.8 billion pounds. So most of the digital ad dollars are in Google and Facebook's mm -hmm. kind of pocket. So one advertiser, even if it's a gigantic one making this decision, won't make change unless you know, uh, the next kind of four or five behind Unilever say, yeah, same thing. If you don't fix this, we're going to move our money elsewhere. That was kind of a long rant. Apologies out there. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I, on that cheery note, um, I'd like to thank the Parkland kids for being so active. And uh, that's yeah, very inspiring. I know you all listen to the PPC show for the latest in ad tech headlines, but uh, thank you for your hard work. And anyone else, even uh, if you're not one of, one of the kids down there doing good work, thanks for listening. If you want to get more news about what's going on in PPC and apparently American politics, you can tune in and check out the uh, podcast weekly. You can go to our SoundCloud channel, or you can head over to blog.adstage.io. Sign up for our newsletter, and we always link all these interesting stories and a whole lot more over there. All right, take it easy. See you guys.